0: There is something that God is doing here at this church in this season and time, and we're being invited into it. And today I get to wrap up the series as we look at For Such a Time as This. Can you say it with me? For Such a Time as This. We are going to look at what that means, because in every generation we need to understand what God is doing and what he invites us into. Our mission as a church we have been reemphasizing over the last few months this reality that we're called, as Jesus said, to obey the first and the second most important commandments, to love God and love all people in our pathway. That is who we are as a church, whether we're online or in person, that is what we are called to, is to love God and love all people in our pathway. And as we live that out, Jesus in every generation begins to say, hey, follow me, follow me, and I wanna show you what that looks like. And as we look at for such a time as this, it means that there's a moment that's going to require some of your time. If you're online with us right now, uh, drop a clock or a watch or whatever you can find for our chat host to know you're there. Our God values time. You know that time is the most valuable resource. It's the only non-renewable resource. And so when we look at moments in time, There are moments that are more significant sometimes, have more impact than others. I was looking over the generations and and just looking, has anyone actually surveyed and researched and asked the question of different generations, what was one of their largest cultural moments? A few years back, Pew Research did this, and uh, Greatest Generation and the Boomers, we in the house? okay. (laughs) All right, you are, uh, whether you realize it or not, I see you. Uh, greatest generation of boomers. So, so here's the two most significant cultural moments based on this research and those that were 40% or more in responding. This was kind of the, the threshold was 40% or more for what I'm about to show you. Uh, so the first one is a uh, picture here. This is actually from World War II for the greatest generation. Uh, This was a defining moment in time. It required so much of you and our country. It was interesting because for the boomers, it wasn't World War II, it was the Vietnam War. The, the, The Vietnam War was also one of those most significant moments for them generationally. And then for them, there was this reality that actually was the only one that spanned four generations. 9-11. That 9-11 was actually a moment that no generation can forget. We just reviewed its 20th year anniversary a few weeks ago. And and this was another moment in time where the world itself was awakened and, and we can't forget what happened in that moment. Then moving to Gen X and millennial, you here, you online, where are you, right? A couple of our cultural moments. Again, 9-11 was one of them. The other was the election of our first African-American president, President Barack Obama. And many saw this as a defining moment. Both generations had this as one of theirs. I had for, actually forgot for Boomers and uh, Greatest Gen, the assassin, assassination of uh, John F. Kennedy was also one of your cultural moments. Now, when you think about what is it that defines this current generation, again, the research was from a few years ago. I have no doubt that COVID-19 and this pandemic will show up in years ahead. It's something we all saw as a moment in time that we were asking the question, God, what, what are you up to? What are you doing? How do we respond And if we're not asking that question, I submit to you today that we ought to be. That we ought to be asking, God, what are you going to do in this generation? What are you up to and how do we, for such a time as this, be your faithful church that is following you? God has a great plan for each of our lives and us collectively. Can I get an amen? And part of what we have to do in every generation is determine not how do we adapt to the generation, but what does God's word have to say about this moment in time? Dr. Tony Evans says, we are not called to adapt the Bible to our age, but to adapt our age to the Bible. Church, we got some stuff to look at today. You ready? Yeah. Turn with me to Matthew 25. And in Matthew 25, we have a passage that is absolutely incredible and speaks in every generation to the stewardship That God gives us. Picking up in verse 14 of Matthew 25, Jesus is teaching his disciples and teaching us today. And what he says is, for it would be like a man going on a journey who has called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Talents here are not your physical talents, it's actually a monetary uh, sum of money. It's similar to almost a year's worth of wages. And so they're entrusted with this money. It says, then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. So he got a good return on that investment. He, he did what God had asked him to do. He stewarded it and he multiplied. Verse 17. So he also who had the two talents made two talents more. Same thing. He multiplied what God had given him. Enter into the joy of our master. Don't you want to hear that from the Lord? Don't you want to be one of those that he looks and he says, you've been faithful with what I've given you. You've multiplied it. Well done. Enter into my joy. Verse 22, he also who had the two talents came forward saying, master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him again, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much enter into the joy of your master. What happens next is the man with one talent says, I hid it, I was afraid, I knew you were a hard master. I hid it, I didn't multiply it. Here, here it is back. And, And Jesus actually tells us that the master dismisses him. You see, each of us are called to account to what God has given us. What he's placed in our hands is a stewardship and our God asks us, for such a time as this, to multiply what he has entrusted to us. If you're taking notes, for such a time as this, we're called to multiply what God has entrusted to us. And when we look at what that means, it means we're to manage God's resources, God's way for God's glory. Did you know that God knows how to better manage what you have than you do? (laughs) Some of you saw your bank account this morning, and you're like, yeah, maybe he does. Some of you are like, hmm, I'm pretty good at this. Whether we have a lot or have a little isn't the issue. You see, Jesus never says it's about the five talents, the two talents, or the one. His teaching is about what you actually have. And so whether we have a little or have a lot, whether we're good with money or we're not, God wants us to manage all the resources he's given us by putting him first and doing it his way. And to give him the glory. Now this means that we should be over time as disciples of Christ, faithful givers, generous givers. Do you know the early church was marked by its generosity? By the way it blessed and encouraged others? So much so that the world around when they were persecuted and shunned saw something different in them. Saw a boldness and a faith and a courage, saw a generosity that showed up in hardship, that showed up in persecution, that showed up in all of the chaos around them, and said, We the church will serve and give of our lives even where no one else will. Church, I believe in every generation, there's moments where God says, Will you trust me? Will you follow me? Will you give sacrificially? And I I get to tell you today, I'm not up here asking for any money today. So you can just breathe really easy. God's been faithful to Pathway. This is not a, hey, we need to raise money for something here on the property or something. This is setting in the motion the kind of heart and generosity I believe God wants our church to have. That when he does show up and says, for such a time as this, here's the next hill, here's the next opportunity, we're ready because we started living generously today. That we started giving of our time, our talent, and our treasure, managing God's resources for God's glory. Now, as you think about this, I want to ask you a question. What are you doing with what God has given you? What are you doing? Not your neighbor... Not your spouse if you're married, not your kids, not your granddad or your auntie or your uncle. What are you doing with what God has given you? Because that's the question we all have to be able to answer. And interestingly enough, I didn't even realize it until this morning as I was praying and kind of doing my final prep. I realized that it was a year ago this Sunday that I came here to candidate to be your new lead pastor. A year ago this Sunday. It was a moment of stewardship for you and for me. It was a moment where behind the scenes, what you didn't know is the Lord kept hammering into the depth of who I was this passage in Matthew 25. Because it would have been easier for me to put my head in the sand and to stay comfortable in Michigan where I had lived my entire life. See, sometimes you think it's you know, a sage on a stage and, and he do not live a, a life like you live. I do. I live a life just like you and I had a moment and a decision to make. Will I follow Jesus? Will I give up the only life I've known with my family of six? Not because I needed to, but because the Lord was asking me to be obedient in that moment of time. That he was saying, whether I have one talent or two, I don't know. You can decide, I guess. But whatever God had given me, God was showing me that it was to be multiplied here. And that I couldn't keep my head in the sand and be faithful. What are you doing with what God has given you? What is God going to show you today or in this season? And here's the thing, and what I learned last year, And what I'm learning every day here is when you're following Jesus, there is never a dull moment. If you're bored in your faith, it is time for you to follow Jesus, because to follow Jesus means you aren't going to be bored. In fact, uh, pastor and author, Mark Batterson, says this. He says, if you're bored, one thing is for sure. You're not following in the footsteps of Christ. Woo, church. To follow Jesus is an adventure in every generation. Turn with me to the book of Esther, and we're going to look at a little bit of her life today. Not just Esther, though. We're going to look at Mordecai, her uncle, and a villain that shows up in the story named Haman. And as we look at this, we're going to move quickly, and we're going to see three basic principles That if we believe what I just said out of Matthew 25, if we believe that Jesus calls us to multiply and be good stewards, Esther's life is going to illustrate for us maybe something that will help us move forward today. You ready to go a little bit deeper? All right, church. (laughs) I'm going there anyway. (laughs) You're welcome to talk back, church. Amen, hallelujah, all those things, right? So in the book of Esther in the Old Testament... We have a moment where God's people have been carried into captivity. There's a king that's on the scene and this king has a moment with his queen that doesn't go as well as he would have liked. Takes the advice of the people around him. He dismisses her and prepares for a new queen by issuing basically a beauty pageant to the entire province. Kind of sounds like Cinderella, doesn't it? Isn't it interesting how we pick up so much in culture that maybe got its source from the Bible, but didn't give it credit anyway. Every generation, right? So in chapter 2 of Esther, we see this moment unfolding. Picking up in verse 5, it says, Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, son of Shammai, son of Kish, a Benjamite. Who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up Hadasha, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle. He's raising her. He is the uncle raising his niece. It says, For she had another father, or she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa the Citadel in custody of Haggai, Esther was also taken into the king's palace and put into custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. And the young women pleased him and won his favor, and he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace and advanced her and young women to the best place in the harem. Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day, Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. If you're taking notes for such a time as this, God's purposes prevail through generational faithfulness. You you see, you have Mordecai who sees a bad situation unfolding with a niece that is not being cared for. So having a heart for the next generation and his own kin, he steps in and he raises Esther. As he's raising Esther, there's a moment in time where she then is invited in to be a part of this beauty pageant. Having no idea how that would position her and what that would do ultimately, we'll get to that in a minute. There's a generational faithfulness that is present here. And we need to be reminded at Pathway Church that this church, by God's grace, is 80 years old this year. Little over 80 if you count the Bible studies and outreach and VBS and where it all actually began. From one generation to another, God has been faithful to our church, amen? And in the same way, I believe there's moments where God says, listen, whether you're greatest gen or a millennial, a boomer or a Gen X, or maybe something that I've missed there, your generation is asked the question, will you be faithful in pouring into and handing off and positioning the next generation? Mordecai does a brilliant job in caring for Esther and preparing her for what was coming. You see, we're invited to participate always in every generation in God's grand redemptive story. You can try to write your own story, and some of us are in the middle of that right now. And if you're honest, you know there's places where there's chapters and appendixes and all of these additional things that maybe are outside of God's best. When we do it God's way, God moves and provides and blesses and takes care of us. Did you notice that she's given favor? Not only is she given favor in that moment, but she will be given favor to the point where she's now chosen to be the new queen. She still in that time hadn't revealed who her people were, who her tribe was. But God was positioning her and giving her great favor. And here's the thing. When God blesses and gives favor to a person in a place and a time, it's never about that person. God has something bigger for that person to do. And that's what Esther would find out and learn. Let's continue to read because the drama is about to unfold. Did you know the Bible is real, y'all? Like, There's some drama in here. All right, let's check it out. Chapter 3, verse 6. Actually, verse 5. And when Haman, so Haman is now the villain in the king's court, he saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him. So Esther's uncle Mordecai would not bow down to one of the king's officials named Haman. That sets in motion the drama, verse 6. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, so as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the 12th year of king Ahasuerus, they cast pur, that is, they cast lots, before Haman day after day. And they cast it month after month till the 12th month which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provenance of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws, so that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. I just want to make a comment here, and you've heard this from me before, you'll hear it again. Our day and age is calling for tolerance. Our God is a God of love. Love is a much higher v- virtue than tolerance. Chew on it, it'll sink in later. Love is always greater than tolerance. So they were in this moment triggered by the issue of tolerance. Sound familiar? It says, If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they may put it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman the Agiite, the son of Hamedetha. I'm trying, guys. Did it sound good? Okay. All right. You don't know either. The enemy of the Jews. And the king said, verse 11, to Haman, the money is given to you. The people also to do with them as it seems good to you. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first month, and an edict according to all that Haman commanded was written to the king's satraps and to the governors over all the provinces and to all the officials. A letter is issued, it will go on to say, and if you're taking notes, this is where we're at. For such a time as this, darkness and drama sets the stage for God's deliverance. You see, generational faithfulness had positioned Mordecai, had positioned Esther, but now that they're positioned with God's favor, there's also a reality of a world living in chaos, of darkness, of a drama unfolding. Haman wants to take out not just Mordecai, but all of God's people. And as this is unfolding, we are going to see throughout this that God's sovereignty and God's deliverance is always at work in our world. That we serve a God who rescues and reaches in to the drama and the darkness and brings his light and love and he lifts us out of it. Anybody else able to attest that we serve a God who can rescue? Anybody? This is, hopefully for many of us, our story, but for some of us, a moment where whatever we're facing, Your current struggles, your chaos, your darkness are never outside of God's sovereign reach. Haman is is trying to take out God's people. And as that stage is set, we live in a day and age where we know that the enemy's job description in John 10.10 is to steal, kill, and destroy. We live in a world where there is an enemy that would love nothing more than to take you and I out. He knows he's defeated. He's working overtime to try to take as many with him as he can. And then we have a God who says, no, not my kids, not my sons, not my daughters. I love them. I'll redeem them. I'll work through them to redeem others and to restore and to provide what was missing. This is the heart of God. And whatever you're facing today, whatever you're going through, Our God can take that and deliver and do something with it. He is able. And and what's so incredible is that as all of this unfolds, it's not Esther that gets it right away. If you've got a a little more gray hair than I do, if you've got a little bit more wisdom than I do, be encouraged. In every generation, God will use any generation still breathing. If we're breathing, God has a purpose for our life and he's not done, amen? Amen. And so he he actually begins to move on Mordecai first and Mordecai then will begin to speak to Esther. Let's take a look. Jumping ahead to our last section here that we're looking at today in chapter four. It says, when Mordecai learned all that had been done, so he now knows that Haman has positioned them all to die. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes. He went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate. For no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, say fasting, With fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. I'm going to pause there for a second and just help you picture this, right? Mordecai hears about it and he he doesn't go and get incredibly anxious and begin to try to fight the battle on his own. He doesn't even go to try to compel Esther, who has the king's ear, to try to do something. He actually begins to pray and fast and weep and lament and cry out to God for God to do something. Where do you turn? in your moments of panic? Where do you turn in your moments of distress? Do you turn to social media and cry out? Because that works really well. (laughs) Do you cry out to people that will just affirm you and your opinion? Or do you actually go to God first and foremost? I've been so convicted working through this realizing that that yes, I pray, but do I really rip open my heart and say, and cry out to God? I believe God is looking for a generation, generations of people that will begin to say enough is enough. We're going to cry out for God to do something. Because what needs to be done, not just in our life, but the life of our church, the life of Vero Beach and beyond, our country and our world, is only going to happen if we're deeply dependent on God. So Mordecai models this for us. Esther continues to try to figure it out on her own, and then we jump ahead, and she has her shining moment. Verse 12, chapter 4. It says, And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish, and who knows, say who knows, who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Say that with me, for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Now she's, she's been moved. You see it? She's willing to risk it all, risk her life for the sake of what God has for her. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Interesting how the young, the old are mixing and encouraging each other here. For such a time as this last point I want to make, is there's a God confidence that comes from relational intimacy and dependency. You see, Mordecai and Esther found their confidence not in themselves, we live in a generation that's trying to teach us how to feel good about ourselves and have confidence in ourselves. And while that can be a starting point, it's God confidence. It's a confidence that's intimate with God, that's depending on God, that's growing with God, that then relationally realizes we can't do anything alone. Mordecai is supporting Esther. Esther's going to her friends. Her friends are actually fasting just like she is. You see, in every generation, godly habits and godly community keep us close to God and His purposes. Godly habits and godly community keep us close to God and His purposes. Do you see why it matters so deeply? That that we're actually a church that says we want to grow with the Lord and we want to help others grow with the Lord. That we're not just trying to come here on on, on the weekend to survive. We want to come together to say, God, we want to be close to you and close to each other. We want to live on mission. We want to live for such a time as this. In Hebrews, we're encouraged in chapter 10. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. It goes on to say, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Aren't you glad that Jesus is the one that cleans us up and has done it for us? He places us in godly community and this is what it says. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Catch this. It's not saying, hey, Pastor Brian should do a motivational speech every Sunday to stir you up to love and good works. It's saying that I have a role, and you have a role, and we all have a role. And that if we're living in an intimate relationship with God and in community together, we're going to be stirring each other up. We're going to be stirring each other up not to to do things we want to do, but to do the things God has called us to do. To live for Him. To love and do good works. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Jesus is returning for his bride, and in the meantime, for such a time as this, he has something he's asked us to do for him. And I believe that if we'll come together and live and love the way God has called us to, if we'll say yes for such a time as this, God is going to move in mighty ways. In 1940, ironically, the same year that this church was started, there was a war that I mentioned earlier. And that war had a battle many of you are familiar with. Actually, it was a naval canal that was under siege by the Nazis. It was in Dunkirk. And this particular situation was so dire that the 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 naval experts, the the ships and the sailors that would normally provide rescue to the more than 100,000 people in a quarter million worth of uh, soldiers that were there, nobody could do it. They they knew it wasn't going to happen unless there was an effort that was bigger than them. And so this armada, if you will, made up of not just ships, but I envision like pontoon boats and kayaks, and canoes, leisure boats, cargo boats, they all got together. You can look up the pictures of how this incredible rescue occurred. As they band together, and as they said, we're going to do something, some of the rescue had to do with the location, some had to do with the fact that people began to believe Link Arms and say, we're going to be a part of the solution. We're going to risk our lives to be a part of the solution for such a time as this. Church, there's a moment unfolding. I know God has called us to more. And I want to invite you to be a part of that. To experience the great adventure that's ahead of us. So three questions. You know I love to, to, you know, we're hearers of the word and we're doers, right? So three next step questions. First, will you multiply what God has given you for such a time as this? Will you actually look at what he's given you, whether it's money or time or talent? What has God given you? And will you say yes to him today to multiply it? Secondly, will you look to Jesus for deliverance from any darkness or drama you're facing? Whether that's personal to you and what you're going through. Maybe it's a hurt. It's a habit, it's an addiction, it's, it's some brokenness in your own life. Will you look to Jesus? Or will you begin to invite Jesus into other people's drama, right? Our families have some drama sometimes. Anybody? <laughs> You're so dishonest. We do. and I want to invite you to invite God into the middle of the darkness and drama. And to believe he's a deliverer and a rescuer. By the way, he did it for Esther and Mordecai. Haman actually ended up getting hanged at the end of Esther. Not because they did anything, but because God delivered God's people and made sure that justice happened to Haman. Our God knows how to get the job done. Thirdly, will you pursue godly habits and godly community for such a time as this? We want to invite you to be a part of discipleship, be part of mission here. By the way, when I said that they fasted, our Wednesdays, New Wine Wednesday, we are praying and fasting every Wednesday together. Be a part of it. One meal, two meals, three meals, whichever God leads. But there is something God is inviting us into, and we are a multi generational movement. Nobody gets off the hook. We follow Jesus together, amen? I'm gonna pray us into a time to respond and I just wanna encourage you, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, online, let our hosts know that you're ready to talk and pray and receive Jesus here. We'd love to chat with you. We have prayer partners. The altars are gonna be open. Maybe there's something you need to bring before the Lord during this time and lay down. Ask God to, to take it and multiply it. I'm going to pray us in. I don't believe any of us are meant to leave the same way we came in today. So let's open up our hearts and let the Lord have his way. Father, we love you and praise you. We thank you for your word and that for such a time as this, that in every generation you are faithful and good. And as we follow you, your good plans unfold. God, I believe you're doing something special here in and through Pathway. And it isn't just about our church, it's about your kingdom and your big C church advancing. Right now in this moment, there's those of us that maybe we know we've got to lay something down or we've got to pick something up that you're asking us to pick up. I pray, Lord, for great faith and a move of your Holy Spirit in this time. May this not just be a moment but part of the movement forward to follow you and to see this generation find you. God, we thank you. Bless this time as we worship you together. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship. The altars are open.
1: me the kindness of mercy.
0: is so good, isn't he? God is so good. And uh, as we get ready to go, if God is still working and you want to to pray or be prayed for any of that, you can stay and do that. Uh, Visitors, if you go out those doors, our welcome center, we have a gift for you. We'd love to welcome you online. Our chat host is ready for you. These invites on your seats, if you're here in person, are not for you. You're here. These are for you to take and to invite somebody and tell them how good your God is. Amen. So we want to encourage you to do that. Reminder too, if you've not seen our Space Swap and our new Kids Wing, they're doing an open house after both services today uh, to walk through and uh, to be able to see what God has done. Father, we love you and praise you. And we are just so amazed, God, again, at your goodness. And for such a time as this, I pray over my brothers and sisters online and in person that we would sense your leading and say yes. That we would love you and love all people in our pathway. That you would use us in ways that we didn't even know were possible. Father, bless and be with us. We are those that are highly favored. And we want to bear fruit for your kingdom. So as we go now and be your church... We pray for safety, protection, and we pray for favor that would bear fruit for your kingdom. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great week. Go now and be the church.